2: and this is fast money and i am brian sullivan in once again for melissa good evening everybody tonight's trader lineup guy adami tim seymour karen fineman and dan nathan tonight on fast a monday market move inching stocks back closer to recent highs but one top market strategist says beware of another big sell-off he's here with why he's so worried espn doubling down on big casino bets that has shares of two stocks hitting the money line and just how hot is homebuilding? We're going to find out soon. Earnings from one of the world's biggest homebuilders set the cross at any moment. All right. Good evening, everybody. All that and much more ahead. We start with some breaking news on Nikola. Shares, they are down in the after hours. That follows a big up day. Bloomberg reporting that the Securities and Exchange Commission will examine Nikola over the short-selling fraud allegations. Stock down 7.5% right now. Guy Adami, your response to that news.
3: Again, hey, Brian, thanks for being here. Again, I can't speak, and I said this last week, I'll try to be a little clearer now. I can't obviously speak to the veracity of the short-seller report, accusations of fraud. I have no idea. What I did say last week, and what I'll stand behind, is despite how the GM investment is structured, whether they are actually investing money, however the deal is structured, the fact that GM is somehow had linked their wagon to Nikola, and if these accusations prove to be correct, I think the really deleterious uh, thing could happen in shares of GM based solely on that. Not because it's just $2 billion, but the, in my opinion, the potential for an exponential move based on that and based on the fact that maybe GM potentially didn't do the homework that other people did. That would be my primary concern right now as I look at this entire situation.
2: And, and Tim, to be clear on the story, and I know we're going to we're trying to get Phil up here, Phil a any moment, is that, you know, Trevor Milton said the other day, like, we're going to basically work with the SEC on this. I want to be clear, according to the Bloomberg report, that's not what this is. This appears that the SEC is now poking into Nikola, maybe sort of on, not on the side of the short seller, but certainly from that angle. This is not some cozy deal between the two going after Hindenburg.
4: No, I, I think ultimately uh, the SEC is going to do what they feel is just uh, based upon both again uh, allegations of fraud and, and and actual fraud and investigating what was represented to investors. I mean, there's there's you know whether the technology is what it is and guys brought up uh, um, some important elements of this that you know I don't I don't think we can know uh, based upon even even if we'd read that entire report. Again, this needs to be validated or invalidated. The fact that the company has come out today and said, well. You know, we, we said that it was, you know, that the company was, was, uh, was, was, mo- the, excuse me, that the, the truck was moving as opposed to um, it was actually individually pro- propelled by our own engine, et cetera. I mean, you know, th- th- there's some, some really, uh, frankly, uh, you know, that, that, that semantic hair that's trying to be split here, I, I think is 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 crazy i mean that doesn't sound good that certainly doesn't sound uh like something you would rest on well we weren't really you know indicating that we were you know, we were on our own with individual propulsion so i i think you know that doesn't read well um I, you know to me with gm the, the issue was, did this validate some of their fuel cell technology and some of their overall engineering prowess? And did the deal make some sense when you consider that, unlike others, uh, Nikola was going with an asset light strategy and seeking to, to at least tap into engineering in OEM uh, capacity. That all makes sense. The fact that GM got this for free and was going to be paid $700 million uh, for access to some of their technology, uh, I don't think this is necessarily as harmful to GM if this all turned to be uh, a disaster for Nikola. Uh, I think the fact of the matter is, GM is pointing out that they have been in this space for a long time, and I think there's a lot there.
2: Well, Dan, you know, listen, that's the Tim actually hit on the one thing in the rebuttal that stuck out to me as well, which is, yeah, the truck may not have run on its own, but all the parts kind of worked on their own. But together, eh, it didn't really matter because we're going to pivot to something else. Anyway, there's a lot of pivoting going on at Nikola. And I wonder if investors should just pivot away from the stock because they don't know how this is going to end up.
5: Well, I think that's the main point, Sully. You know, we just don't know. You know, we talked about this on Thursday. The stock was trading about 38. And it had already had a big down day um, the day before after that report came out. You know, my comment was, "Okay, well, there was two opportunities to vet this story." And I was a bit glib about it. So I said, "You know, there probably, you know, isn't fraud here." I had a very prominent short seller hit me after the fact on text and say, be careful here, this is well documented and devastating. I spent some time reading it, the rebuttal, there was really nothing there um, from Nikola, and I think that's a pretty interesting story. Um, I'll just make one point, and one of the reasons why I made that comment on Thursday, I've been in this business for 25 years. You know, if you wanna create um, some sort of scheme to uh, rip people off of lots of money, doing it in the public eye in front of, you know, financial TV, investors who are very well incentivized to sniff it out, and then no shortage of regulatory bodies, it's just not the best place to do it. So, you know, that's my first reaction often, but who knows here, this seems like a really creepy situation, and, you know, when you don't understand something, you just avoid it.
2: Yeah, and I think that's well said, and Karen, I want to reiterate the news in case our audience is just joining us here, that the, the SEC, according to Bloomberg, is now going to investigate, at least sort of at a top level, the allegations of fraud against Nikola made by the short seller. doesn't mean they're going to find anything, and if they find anything, it may not be that serious. They could have some sort of an easy resolution as well. Just because the SEC goes poking around companies doesn't mean there's a negative outcome, and I think that's very important to be said, but... On a, forget Nikola. Karen, is there any reason to ever invest in the stock of a company where the SEC is even sniffing around? Maybe it does create some weird opportunity.
6: Well, I guess I could point to Tesla. The SEC was sort of sniffing around when they made those statements about, um, you know, financing secured when uh, when Musk wanted to do a take-private for $420 a share. I guess So that would have been one scenario, but. I agree with the guys on the panel that this, particularly this issue of you know, it was whether it was self-propelled, um, we never said it was. Uh, certainly one could reasonably assume that investors looking at that would think, oh, that truck is going on its own. It just makes you think, all right, what else are they, do they have out there in the market that, you know, uh, what are they sort of presenting that might not be actually as it appears? This is a black eye for GM. I'm going to guess that maybe this deal falls apart. I think GM uh, I think as one of the guys said they didn't actually put up any money it was the putting up resources and sort of advancing their um, EV platform but this this is a black eye for them it's bad for them and I'm going to guess that this deal falls apart
2: Well very quickly, Karen, I want to come back to you number one uh, you know on, on the propulsion sort of issue, well, let's not forget the Financial Times did some reporting a few days ago that they said they had talked to a cameraman who said, yeah, the truck just basically rolled down the hill. I think probably all of us at our worst moments have rolled down a few hills, you know, once in a while after a few <laughs> too many. Let's move aside from that, Karen. Do you think that if this comes out as a worst case scenario, could GM CEO Mary Barra lose her job?
6: Uh, that I don't know. I mean, imagine that I would think the board's probably not delighted by this. Um, it 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 kind of I mean maybe they did do their due diligence maybe they did know all of the points that were in that uh, extensive short report which I only read a little bit of to be to be fair I did not read the entire thing and that they went through and every single thing seemed okay that's a bit of a stretch for me to believe so. I think the stock had rallied yeah. on that, um, on, on the deal. So uh, it would be reasonable to, I mean, this, uh, you know, I, I'm going to sell some stock. I think uh, this is a black eye for them and for her. And I think she's fantastic. But,
2: um, and she is. And I've had the go out on privilege the of meeting her and interviewing her. And, and uh, Mary Barra is, is a class act all around Guy Adami. But GM shares are moving on this news. Not a lot, but they are down about 1.5%. And listen... You know, again, and there's a lot of ifs and maybes. You don't want to go too much down that rabbit hole, as you so adroitly said very much at the top there. But it is a difficult situation for GM and its investors when literally a couple of working days after you announce a big deal, basically one full week, you got the SEC poking around in the company that you just kind of got into the boardroom with.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's concerning. And again, we have and we're all trying to be really careful here because obviously, you know, none of us know where the truths are and where they're not. But again, I want to emphasize if there isn't any truth whatsoever uh, in those 90 pages of that short seller report, I think it's really, believe it or not, I think it's more of a negative for GM potentially than it is for Nikola. I know that sounds ridiculous, but people will say, how could you possibly got into whatever agreement it is, you know, whether it's a cash deal, whether it's just uh, a collaboration thing, whatever it is, how did you partner up with potentially something that isn't what they said it is? To me, that's a really scary notion, and I think that's sort of the tail risk that GM is facing right now. And, and obviously, you know, we're not wishing for this. I think we're just trying to point out what could happen, and that's sort of our jobs here.
2: Yeah, it certainly is, Tim. And by the way, bring up Nikola. GM is now down almost 2%, but Nikola continues to lose steam, Tim, into this news, now down 11%. So Nikola rose 11% in the normal market today, down 11%, wiped out the gains for today. And and I got to imagine that given all the noise around Tesla with the options activity there, Nikola, now this, this, this EV fuel cell hydrogen car space space, uh, now looking maybe perhaps less macro attractive than it did just two weeks ago.
4: Well, I, you know, actually, it's, perversely, this, I think, validates the macro. I, I think, you know, in the, the SPACs and some of the other uh, kind of backdoor listings for EV technology and producers, um, I, I think, and if anything, as more competitors have entered into the fray, um, you know, the, the irony is, of course, Tesla, which I, I certainly have been one to point out that there's a lot of competition out there. Um, Tesla has, has, has really outperformed uh, in the face even of, of just the stock stories. So, um, look, I, I think the, the GM's Ultium battery technology and their engineering prowess and their involvement already in autonomous, um, I think um, that announcement on Tuesday uh, of last week, this was, this was a trigger to validating a lot of that. Is it invalidated by that? Is GM worse off? Um, If this deal goes bad, absolutely not. Um, I I realize there are reputational uh, dynamics at work, and if due diligence wasn't done, uh, and there's a lot more glaring fraud, um, then, again, none of us know. Uh, And we're speculating, and we're not even speculating. We're just reacting to headlines talking about a process that's unfolding. That's all we're here to talk about. Um, But I I think we have to be very careful about, uh, to me, and I'm long GM. So um, I, I don't think this puts GM in a worse spot. Um, I think, if anything, it shows where GM is looking at the full spectrum. And if they did pick the wrong partner here, um, they, they certainly will find another one.
2: Yeah. And let's bring in now Phil LeBeau. And, Phil, I know uh, you've been reaching out to Nicole. I don't think you've been able to reach Mr. Milton at all as well. But the stock right now is giving back all of what it gained today. And, you know, as far as new news, this news of just the SEC now investigating into Nikola, we don't know what, if anything, by the way, they might find. There is, of course, a presumption of innocence. But when you read that Nikola admitted, basically said, yeah, we kind of faked the video, the the truck did roll down the hill, but the parts worked, but the whole thing just didn't work together. Uh, How do you think that should be reacted to in the automotive community? Well, there's two ways to look at it, Brian. Look, some people will look at this and they'll say,
7: well, come on, when you see the automakers reveal a new vehicle at an auto show uh, or they talk about a model that's coming out somewhere down the road, you know, a lot of times those, those are not fully functioning vehicles, and that's well known within the auto industry. The difference here is that when you look at that video that was shot in 2017, the impression that was given to the person who's looking at this is that it is a functioning hydrogen fuel cell semi-truck. I mean, there, there's no other way to get around that. I mean, that, that the, the impression that it is given is that it, this truck is powering itself. And now they come to tell us, well, no, it was in motion. It was not self-propelled. So there's no way to get around that. Any way you look at that, that looks terrible. Terrible 100% for Nikola. The question you guys were discussing is, what are the implications for General Motors? Keep this in mind. Nikola was seeking out a, an original uh, equipment company, an OEM within the auto industry, an automaker, to build the Badger electric pickup truck. And General Motors offered the most attractive package in terms of the technology that they brought to the table. And yes, General Motors didn't have to spend any money. They're not buying into Nikola, but they're getting an 11% stake as part of this agreement to work with them. will this come back to bite Mary Barra um, as a bad move? If it all falls apart, at worst, it's embarrassing, because she has come out and she said, look, we did due diligence. We think that this validates our technology. If it ends up that these guys don't validate their technology, that it all falls apart, it's embarrassing for General Motors, but it's not the end of the world. The Ultium technology uh, and all of their hydrotech that still is extremely valuable and can be used not just for General Motors vehicles, but for other automakers in the future.
2: What about, and again, Phil, we're just going to talk about what is what is in the short seller's report, what is publicly available information without editorializing or making an assumption. Part of this was the personnel. Okay, and one of the short seller's allegations really was that Some of the the high-ranking employees may or may not be unqualified for their job, given the complexity of the technologies. What can we tell us about Trevor Milton's brother, Travis, who apparently was a home contractor or home builder just recently in Hawaii, and another CHOP executive who is uh, running a a golf course, effectively, three years ago. All of that is publicly available information on LinkedIn, by the way. Do we care about the executive's pasts? Well, I think you you care about their past if it's really out of left field
7: and you're like, whoa, what is this person doing? The flip side of that, Brian, is that look who put together the Nicholas Spack, Steve Gursky, former GM board member, widely respected on Wall Street for his years as an analyst and his work in the auto industry. I mean, this is not a Johnny come lately. This is not somebody who, you know, says, hey. Okay, who's this? I've never heard of these guys before. Let's put a deal together. Um, Steve Gursky brings a lot to the table. And certainly, I think that people would sit there and say, you know, would you know, would he have set up this back and his company, uh, Invecto, would they have set up this back if they thought that Trevor Milton and Nikola was a house of cards? Um, you know, the reasonable assumption here is no, they would not have done that. So I understand... When you hear people say, look, I don't, I don't, I think Trevor Milton is on social media and he's not really somebody who's altogether in it for truly making this a great company. I understand people who say that, but at the other hand, there are people who have looked at Nikola and that includes people at General Motors. And you would think that if this was a house of cards, somebody would raise their hand and say, stay away from this thing.
2: Well, the stock's down 9% right now. And by the way, just to be fair, Phil Lebeau, thank you very much. Uh, Nicola coming back and saying, listen, uh, Travis Milton, Trevor's brother, is a talented construction guy who is perfect for building out infrared, you know hydrogen gas stations. And Kevin Link, who ran a golf course before, is a talented mechanical engineer. So defending the employees as well. All right. I'm sure there'll be more on the Nicola story tonight and tomorrow, all day on CNBC. But right now, we've got an earnings alert on Lennar. Let's get now to Diana Olick with the details on the
1: home building. Diana.
0: Well, Brian, it's a sweet beat for Miami-based Lenar. Earnings came in at $2.12 per share for Q3 versus estimates of $1.55. That's up 33% annually. Q3 revenue came in at $5.9 billion versus estimates of $5.48 billion, but that is unchanged year-over-year. Year. New orders, that sales, came in at $15,564 versus guidance of $12,800 to $13,000, and that's up 16% year-over-year. Lennar says they are now accelerating their house. Starts. Interesting. Revenue from its financial services business came in huge at $135 million. That's nearly twice estimates and up 80% from a year ago. And that is Lennar's very strong mortgage business, which has clearly been benefiting from rock bottom mortgage rates and the refi boom. Guidance on financial services for Q4 coming in at $100 million to $105 million. Chairman Stuart Miller called market conditions, quote, robust. Fundamentals remain strong. Miller said he expects home sales to stay strong for the foreseeable future. And our president, John Jaffe, said home prices remain flat, but he added that they are still struggling with limited availability for labor and materials in certain markets. Now, Q4 sales guidance came in at 13,800 to 14,300. They reported an all-time Q3 low in SG&A. So Lennar is really cutting costs and benefiting on demand. But again, Remember, Lennar is very heavy in the Florida and Texas markets where it has been very hot. So, Brian, a great beat, but not entirely unexpected.
2: And the stock not reacting positively again. Karen Feynman, I'll come to you. I mean, this is another one of those situations we had with Home Depots and Lowe's a couple of weeks ago where the numbers are tremendous, but the market doesn't care because it probably already bid it up. The stock is up 45 percent in a year. Have we seen, to quote Stix, the best of times already for the home homebuilders? <laughs>
6: uh, um, I don't know. I think that um, we saw a stock like a Peloton, which had a huge run-up and huge earnings and actually traded higher in the aftermarket, only to be down maybe 18 bucks from there today. Um, I mean, Tim's been talking about this. Are we? Are we sort of... You know, Is the housing trade going to blow up? I mean, these are great numbers, but their, their last quarter was really great, too. And they talked in that last quarter that they would continue to see margin improvement, which they clearly did. It was a big revenue beat, but a big EPS beat. So I don't know. I like the space. I think there is more to come. I don't think this bubble is uh, about to burst soon. I'm long lows, though. That's lows at Home Depot. That's been the way I've been playing the, the housing space.
4: So I I do think I agree with Karen's uh, assessment here of the space. I'm very bullish on the space. I think the material side, in fact, um, I I think there's a little bit more Mr. Roboto uh, going on there in copper and materials Mm. prices and so Brian if yes I know you started it with sticks I had to keep going um, but 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 ultimately think about the the, the the tailwind for these home builders it's zero interest rates it's a migration from cities uh, into into regional and suburban areas and so some are better positioned and then of course there's this 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 national geogra- uh, uh, migration that uh, Diana just talked about into Texas and Florida so um, the valuations of the home builders I think are really tough I think you want to own materials I want to own, you want to own resource companies and I think if you look at the break down of those charts and the valuations those are a lot more attractive here they have pricing power there is inflation there
2: yeah and you make a pretty good case on all sides I guess if you want to jump in hot and heavy into home builders you'd have to be a renegade at this point Tim Seymour but I wouldn't I would never say that all right coming up two big tech deals front and center today we're going to bring you all the details when we come back plus What this chart is telling us about what the stock market may say before Election Day. We are just 50 days out. Dom Chu, some really interesting volatility stuff ahead of November 3rd. We're back right after this. Stick around.
1: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy.
2: all right, welcome back to Fast Money. Really a double dose of technology deals to begin your week. Number one, NVIDIA buying fellow chipmaker Arm Holdings from SoftBank for $40 billion. And Oracle besting Microsoft in a bid for TikTok's U.S. business, or at least part of it. We've got full team coverage standing by to hit on both sides. We've got Josh Lipton on NVIDIA, but let us start with Julia Borston and the latest on TikTok, which, as you pointed out this morning on our call, Julia Don't call it a buyout. It is not a deal. What exactly is it then?
8: Well, it's not an acquisition. It's definitely not an acquisition, Brian. But what Bright Dance is doing is they they're saying that they've chosen Oracle as their, quote, trusted technology partner. And that this is part of, quote, TikTok's corporate restructuring. So this is not the sale of TikTok's U.S. assets that we've been talking about for the past few weeks, but rather Oracle is expected to invest in TikTok and become TikTok's Cloud provider. Now, Oracle's proposal for TikTok was received over the weekend. The Trump administration will review it this week and we'll have technical discussions with Oracle ahead of that September 20th deadline for when that deal needs to be done. Now, it's unclear how big a stake Oracle would take in the company. But as TikTok's cloud provider, Oracle would take responsibility for privacy and data security issues. And this deal would be the key part of a restructuring of TikTok's U.S. operations to address U.S. government concerns about ownership by China's ByteDance. This is, of course, that departure from the recent plan to sell the U.S. operations in response to the president's demands. Now, sources tell me that things are definitely still fluid, and there could be other investors participating in this deal as well, such as Walmart. Walmart telling us it continues to have an interest in a TikTok investment and is continuing discussions with ByteDance. Now, things are still in process. And another thing still to be determined is what kind of percentage ownership of TikTok's U.S. operations would go to Oracle and perhaps Walmart, or if any of the U.S. investors in the company, such as Sequoia and General Atlantic, could possibly increase their stakes as part of this as well. We're also hoping to learn whether they're negotiating just about TikTok's U.S. assets or perhaps a bit more. Brian, back over to you. So,
2: so basically, Julia, it's Oracle could just sort of end up running the data center sort of AI, US AI asset part of the company. But otherwise, the the company TikTok just kind of continues on as it were. I mean, I'm not minimizing it, but it doesn't sound like, I mean, Oracle is not a consumer company. They are a enterprise corporation dealing with other corporations.
8: They are. Yeah, so they're a cloud. They would operate the cloud. So all of the data about TikTok's U.S. users would not be sent back to China. That would live here on the the Oracle cloud. Uh, And I do think that this would be part of a restructuring, though. I mean, this all started when CFIUS expressed concerns about the idea that a Chinese company own such a big social media platform here in the US. And so the restructuring would be really to formalize the separation of the US entity and the international operations to have that US entity operated and run out of here. They say they're doing that already, but they would be taking additional steps mm-hmm. to ensure a separation, particularly of that data by having the data live on the Oracle cloud.
2: Got it, Julia Borston, thank you very much. Well, Dan, Oracle took off over 4% today. Your take on the deal.
5: Yeah, it's a joke. It's kind of the art of the steel. I mean, when you think about what's going on and what the Trump administration tried to uh, make happen here, they're basically just moving TikTok US's cloud provider from Google over to Oracle. And his donor, his big donor, and Larry Ellison, um, gets a big customer. They're like less than 5% of the public cloud in the US. It's Google, uh, Microsoft, um, and... AWS that just own the market here. So to me, this is kind of a cozy little deal. It does not accomplish what he set out to accomplish. Um, it is a forced technology transfer, but from one U.S. company to another. And I bet ByteDance is just happy with this result. Yeah, and
3: Brian, I'd just interject quickly in terms of Oracle, and you know, Dan loves to make fun of me, rightly so, in most times. But we had an interesting conversation on September 11th about Oracle when they reported earnings and. You know, one of the things that I said, it's going to have a lot of trouble at $60, which was the high back in July of 2019. And, you know, the move up to 62 dollars half, 63 notwithstanding, you find a stock below 60 that traded north of four times or almost four times normal volume today. If you're trading Oracle, in my opinion, you're taking profits here, looking for the pullback, which you've seen before, or you're looking to buy it on a breakout above 62 But I think you're sort of no man's land here at
2: 59 a half. All right. Well said. No man's land and a joke, as Dan called it. All right. Now to the other big deal today. And this one is actually a buyout. NVIDIA announcing it will buy fellow semiconductor maker Arm Holdings from SoftBank for $40 billion. Josh Lippman joining us now with more deal details. Josh.
9: So, Brian, a game changer. That's how analysts were talking about the deal today. NVIDIA agreeing to buy SoftBank's arm for $40 billion. Regulatory approval may take companies, say, about 18 months. NVIDIA finished sharply higher today. It's down about 10% from its all-time high, but what a run. It's still up nearly 120% so far this year. On CNBC, NVIDIA's Jensen Wong talked about the importance of AI, how this deal helps them tackle that opportunity.
4: People understand
7: the importance of this technology, and we are the world leader in it. This is a gigantic industry. Now with with the combination of of Mellanox ourselves and, uh, and ARM, we could directly serve a $250 billion TAM in a way from the cloud all the way out to the edge like nobody can.
9: Now, there are risks for Jensen Wong and his team, though. RBC's Mitch Steve says regulatory hurdles are the main issue, in his opinion, given U.S.-China tensions here. If the deal did close, though, who should be worried? Tech analyst Patrick Moorhead says NVIDIA, with this acquisition, would be able to directly take on Intel in critical end markets like the PC and Data Center. Brian, back to you.
2: All right, Josh Lipton. Josh, thank you very much. All right. Let's bring in now uh, Jared Weisfeld. He is technology sector specialist at Jefferies as well. We'll get the gang involved as well. First, Jared, to you. What do you make of this? Act, unlike TikTok, actual deal.
10: Thanks for having me again. So, listen, it's a transformative deal at about forty billion dollars when all said and done. And what Jensen and Nvidia at the team and the team at Nvidia are trying to do is effectively combine to make a powerhouse to take on Intel in the next generation. Basically leverage all of your artificial intelligence, machine learning capabilities, and use NVIDIA as a distribution platform to combine everything from Mellanox and the core uh, GPU capabilities that uh, that NVIDIA has and then leverage that with ARM. Don't underestimate the pervasiveness of ARM technology when you think about ARM across smartphones to the data center to networking over 180 billion devices have been shipped cumulatively uh, since inception so it's a it's a heroic undertaking but it's it's not without risks and as as it was just highlighted you know they're they're earmarking 18 months to close from a regulatory perspective because the hurdles could be significant when you think about nvidia competitors such as xilinx or qualcomm or intel or Marvell. Are they going to be thrilled that NVIDIA is going to effectively own and dictate the roadmap from an architectural perspective going forward when they're competing against each other day to day? So I think that's, that's the biggest risk going forward and uh, it's going to be interesting how it plays out when you're trying to uh, get regulatory approval across the board.
2: Yeah, but as the journal pointed out, you know, there's not a lot of growth there. And you had SoftBank paying $32 billion. Now they're selling it to NVIDIA for $40. They made $8 billion in a company, in $2 billion a year equivalent, on a company with little to no growth. I mean, did somebody get taken here?
10: Let's put things in perspective. The $40 billion is an all-in number. The actual number without earnouts is about $35 billion. So it's actually a pretty modest premium to the $31 billion from 2016 which I think speaks to the significant premium that uh, that SoftBank paid back in uh, back in 2016. Since 2016 SoftBank has doubled down on R&D investments across the board. They've actually taken the EBITDA margins at at arm from uh, industry leading 54% down to 16% as they doubled the amount of engineers and really leaned into investment. So I think that's something that NVIDIA is gonna look to uh, capitalize on as they try and leverage their uh, AI and uh, machine learning capabilities and take that throughout the ARM platform. But it's gonna be at a significant cost just because you're in this period of uncertainty as you're gonna have industry uh, I think pretty pretty up in arms, uh, no pun intended, as it relates to just what it means as it relates to the, um, the pushback as, as NVIDIA
3: owns the roadmap. Jared, obviously, there's still a lot of hurdles to get over. You, you're mentioning many of them here. But assuming that uh, NVIDIA walks away with this, I read a report today that says this, and you went, mentioned the word transformative, this puts NVIDIA on the road to being the next trillion-dollar market cap company is that ridiculous or is that in the crosshairs
10: no i mean our, our research analyst here here at jefferies um is, is a big fan of, of the story and when you think about the longer term potential of uh of nvidia and what they're doing to uh to marry the technology across the board from an ai and ml capability uh it certainly makes a lot of strategic sense uh, i'm not going to speak to to the stock itself um, but i will tell you the client conversations that i've had those that are bullish and you think about the You think about the the barriers to entry that NVIDIA is creating, but if they were to effectively own the ecosystem, think of it as, you know, the the Wintel of of this generation, having that licensing arm combined with the core chip operations and what that means from a go-to-market strategy. uh, You know, if you make the assumption that it can get through regulatory, which, as you mentioned, it's a long hurdle. If you can get there, uh, it could be pretty interesting on the other side of this.
2: All right, good stuff there. We appreciate your views as always. Thank you very much, Jared, and we'll see you soon here on Fast Money. All right, coming up, do you believe the bounce today? Stocks rallying, but our next guest says there could be more turbulence ahead, how he is setting up for what could be another big sell-off. But later on, hit the jackpot, the big news, the thin shares of both Caesars and DraftKings surging today. The details when Fast Money returns. Look at those moves. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. We have a news alert on the Mets. That's right, the baseball team. Billionaire Stephen Cohen has reportedly reached the deal to buy the New York Mets baseball team. Tim Seymour, as the lone Mets fan in the world (laughs) left out there, what do you make of this deal? (laughs)
4: Well, I mean, there's joy in Mudville. Um, you know, first of all, you have a fan of the Mets with a huge pocketbook, and obviously, you talk about getting, needing to get you know full approval and regulatory. I, I think um, there still may be uh, an ownership vote here, but uh, that at least needs to be finalized. But I, I, I do think it's very good news for a franchise. That um, and Guy, listen to this operates like a small market franchise in the largest media market in the world. So uh, very happy. Um, right now, though, we've got a season to finish, and that's what I'm focused on. So Guy
2: Adami, because we were talking about sticks earlier, I'm going to take a halfway 180 and see if you get, pick up what I'm putting down. How does the deal feel from the point of view of a damn Yankees fan?
3: Well, there you go. I like what you did there. Obviously, Ted Nugent being a huge fan of the show, as is Mr. Blades, by the way, who I'm sure is watching right now. One of the great supergroups. I'll say this. I think the entire thing, Sully, is a grand illusion because unless Stevie Cohen can play second base, which he can't, the Mets are going nowhere fast. They'll spend a lot of money, but they'll still be the Mets. And by the way, I want to say something. Don't at me. Playing for the Mets is not the same
2: as playing in New York. Yes, I said that. Wow. That is, that is tough. All right. But, uh, but we're dropping the sticks. We do like that. Thank, uh, by the way, I believe Stephen Cohen will be the wealthiest Major League Baseball team owner of all of them there. So there you go. The newest is the richest. All right. Let's get back now to the macro market. Kicking off the week in comeback mode. The big three index is all up more than 1%. The NASDAQ 100 popping 1.7%. 1. But get ready. Your next guest is warning something nasty under the surface it may bring on more volatility and possibly selling. Julian Emanuel is BTIG's Chief Equity and Derivative Strategist. Joining us now, Julian, what are you seeing that makes you a little concerned?
12: Uh, Well, if you think about the last couple of weeks, you basically had an August that the setup was very much public positioning. Um, Obviously, we saw institutional players came in that really brought the market higher, along with higher option market volatility. Volatility has moderated, but... The option market is telling you that the public is still very heavily involved in the market and that the froth likely has to come off. and the proof of putting there is in option skew out of the money calls are historically expensive versus out of the money puts particularly on the high-flying stocks we need to see that relationship normalize a bit more Uh, second thing we're seeing is if you look at, at the volatility environment itself You know, a garden variety pullback over the last several years with a VIX that was ranging between 15 and 20 would have been 7 percent. We're off 7 percent or so. But it's a different environment uh, with the VIX ranging between 25 and 30. So it's only logical for us to view, given the positioning, that there's more pullback to come. And of course, for us, the last thing is the election. The uncertainty of the election is only likely to build between now and then uh, markets tend not to like uncertainty. Um, and, and for us, that is just another signal that, uh, you know, rallies for the meantime are probably selling events.
6: Julian, it's Karen. Let me ask you something. If we were to see a stimulus, which I guess is hopes fade fast every day, but if we were to, does that change your view of this market?
12: Yeah, it it does, Karen, because if you think about the last several weeks, I think investors have more or less transitioned from the pre-Labor Day idea of a trillion dollar stimulus before the election to uh, the notion that there isn't likely going to be a stimulus until after the election. And if that were to materialize, that would certainly be a positive in this environment, particularly when those funds would go directly towards trying to really aid in the economic reopening which, again, is really one of the largest open questions that we have looking over the next several months.
5: Hey, hey Julian, it's Dan. Um, Obviously, mega cap tech really led to the upside over the course of the summer, driving a lot of the gains in both the S&P and the NASDAQ. It obviously led on the way down over the last couple of weeks. Really interesting price action today on the close. Amazon, Facebook, Google close on their lows. Apple in front of their meeting tomorrow closes on its highs. What do you think, what group leads the market lower here? Are we expecting more um, sellers on every rally in some of these mega cap tech stocks?
12: Yeah, this is big tech. If you look at it, you know, whether you call it the work from home names or the COVID names, big tech was obviously, you know, topped out a couple weeks ago, uh, the five at uh, over 24% of the way to the S&P 500. They're just overowned, And when you look at it in the context of the great run they've had on fantastic earnings, a lot of these names have subdued earnings expectations for next year that, you know, really don't justify this elevated multiple right now, especially if the economy is likely to accelerate um, where people will be looking for beaten down names in, in areas like uh, financials and selected health care.
2: Julian Emanuel, BTIG, calling for potentially more volatility in selling ahead of the election. I know we're going to get more in a second on the options side. Julian, thank you very much. Guy Dami, your take on what Julian had to say We're 50 days out until that election. Hard to believe. But, man, when you read some of the polls and numbers, I mean, you can understand why volatility is going to be a concern.
3: Yeah, and despite the fact that vol has come down significantly, I mean, we talked about volatility last week and we had 36 handle. Obviously, we closed 10 handles lower than that. But, It's still heightened, and I do think the market is underestimating the volatility that's going to be accompanied with the election. And to earlier points we made, I think the U.S.-China rhetoric is going to continue to get ramped up. So despite the fact that the market had a nice day today and the vol has come in, you're still talking about a 26 VIX, and you're still talking about an S&P 500, which is right around that prior all-time high of 3390 we made back in February. So I'm sort of in Julian's camp.
2: All right, Guy, thank you very much. We've got to jump back on the phone with that breaking news of Nicola. Phil Abeau rejoining us now, and Phil may or may not have gotten a hold of Nicola and or Trevor Milton. Phil, what can you tell us?
7: Didn't get a hold of Trevor Milton, but we do have a statement from Nikola. Uh, and it's, it's short and doesn't really give a whole lot of insight, but it says, on September 11th, Nicola's legal counsel proactively contacted and briefed the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission regarding Nicola's concerns pertaining to the Hindenburg report Nicola welcomes the SEC's involvement in this matter. Uh, not a surprise statement, Brian. This is sort of what you would expect them to say. And we know that last week they indicated that they were going to be talking with the SEC. This might be a little bit different than the headline that you alluded to earlier uh, regarding the Bloomberg report that the SEC is reportedly looking into these allegations involving Nicola. Uh, One would have uh, you thinking, well, are they looking into whether Nikola is in the wrong here? The other would have you looking into, did Hindenburg make up these allegations here? Bottom line is this. The SEC is looking into these accusations, and at some point we'll see whether or not they believe that there is something to these accusations. And one other thing, Brian, uh, the shares giving back right now after hours, they were up during the day in part because RBC had a conference, GM CEO Mary Barra presented at that conference, and in that, her presentation, no doubt she knew she was going to be asked about Nikola. She said, look, we did our due diligence, and we still believe that this agreement validates GM's EV technology. It's hydrotech uh, investments, it's knowledge in that area. All of that is important for General Motors. And so any." Thought that people have that gm is pulling out of this agreement there's no suggestion of that at this point
2: yeah yeah i saw that as well i was a little bit confused by that and by the way we should note and Philippo, thank you very much some uh, we do this insider buying segment of worldwide exchange every friday and, and getting some notes that uh, trevor milton bought about forty-one thousand shares of nikola this morning so the ceo milton uh, coming out and putting up some cash to buy his own stock. More on the Nikola story, I'm sure, to come. Coming up, though, a major deal with ESPN giving shares of DraftKings and Caesars a major boost. So should you still bet on some of these names? Contessa Brewer is up next on that. Look at those moves later as we said, it. 50 days until the election, and there is something big happening in the options market. Dom Chu, along with that as well. Fast Money returns right after this. Hi, right, welcome back. Well, it was another big day in the world of sports betting and another big day for sports betting investors. Look at those gains. DraftKings and Caesars inking deals with ESPN, both rallying on the news. DraftKings up 17%, Caesars up 10.5%. half. let us get right now to Contessa Brewer with the details on those big moves. Contessa.
11: Brian, launching today, the deal puts digital links into ESPN's online platform, links to Caesars Sportsbooks, operated in partnership with William Hill, links to DraftKings Sportsbooks. In return, DraftKings will be the exclusive daily fantasy sports provider and will get some pretty choice segments on television. CEO Jason Robbins said, ESPN's reach among sports fans is unparalleled and the start of NFL is the perfect time for DraftKings to be launching this integration. Deutsche Bank's analyst points to the more than 95 million unique monthly visitors ESPN is believed to have attracted in 2019. Look, that's awfully attractive for a guy like Caesar CEO, Tom Rigg, who is famous for looking for ways to cut marketing costs. We dived into that a bit last hour in an exclusive interview on Closing Bell.
10: This ESPN deal for us, this is a an attractive way to access a gigantic potential customer database and bring them into our system rather than you're seeing the ads where it's effectively buying new business. This is a much more economical way to acquire customers and build market share in that space.
11: These content and media deals drive engagement, they fuel customer acquisition, and it's part of the reason Penn has seen its shares just skyrocket this year on the back of its Barstool sports deal, just launching their joint app in Pennsylvania this week. Now, Caesars and DraftKings now get some serious muscle in this competition for sports betting dollars and customers, and of course that leads to bigger spend on iGaming as well. Here's my thing. You think this... Co-exclusive deal was really what Caesars and DraftKings wanted? I mean, it's a little like walking down the aisle with two grooms. But look, who's happy? The bride, ESPN, gets paid twice.
2: I don't know what has to be two grooms, right? Three's company, <laughs> Janet and Chrissy, I believe with their names. Contessa, but here's the thing. When it comes to it. marketing, do consumers view these sites and platforms as being anything other than interchangeable from each other. They don't care where they bet as long as the line is the same, the money line, the spreads, the the, the optionality is the same. Or do people really do stick with one? I'm going with DraftKings. I'm never going to delete the app. And that's the way it is. Why am I talking like this?
11: Well, I think that Penn is betting on Barstool for that and that loyalty that they're coming to the table with. We'll see. They're just launching that app. But meanwhile, a lot of these guys think it's the way the app works that's going to make it really stand out among the crowd. We'll see.
2: That is true. That is true. Contessa Brewer on a deal there. Guy Adami, I know it's not on my, the 50 bucks I put on the Rams, not only covering but winning last night. You're welcome. So that took away from the returns, I'm sure. Uh, Do you have a preference in the sports betting investment world?
3: DraftKings, we've been all steadfast. When I say all, I think just about everybody on this show has talked about DraftKings since it had a mid-30 handle. Here it closes at 48, and we've talked about it for a while. And I'll say this again for now the 50th time. They could cancel all professional sports today, and you still buy DraftKings. This is a secular shift. This is a story for the next decade, not for the next 10 minutes. So, To me, DraftKings, despite the move higher, still works here, Brian.
6: To me, it's kind of amazing what Penn did on this. I mean, I I don't know if that means they could also be looking at similar kind of deals, but that spread they keep talking about narrowing between them and DraftKings, I mean, they're both going crazy, but I guess if I had to pick one, I would go with Penn.
4: Well, I I think it's a case where First of all, mainstream uh, media adoption of regulated sports gambling. I mean, this is, this is a massive day, and this is, we're talking about the Mouse House here. So um, I think this is a very, very important dynamic for all uh, iGamers and for sports betting and online sports betting. Um, but I do think it's very important for, for Disney, and I do think it's, you know, ultimately at some point, uh, don't know what the economic relationship here is for introducing to that customer base and that 95 million clicks. But this is a massive, massive moment, I think, uh, both for media companies and I think other media companies will be scrambling to get involved because this is this is how sports are going to be consumed. It's not only great for, uh, I think, for viewers, but it's also very good for uh, municipalities and and state revenue shortfalls, etc. You know that gambling is a big part of what's going on. But again mainstream adoption of regulated gambling. That's what happened today. I'm uh, long draft kings. The valuation makes no sense. Uh, you have to look at it on an EV to sales. And I think it's around 13 times 2021.
2: 20, well, you and Guy can fight about it offline. Tim, we are, we're going to move on. We are just now 50 days away from the 2020 election. So let's take a look at how the options market is positioning itself for a post-election market. Mike Co, joining us now with the options action. Mike.
7: Yeah, so right now the options market is pricing in some fairly considerable volatility around the election. And the best way that people can see this is probably actually by looking at the VIX futures. Think of that as rolling 30-day windows of volatility. The October VIX futures, which essentially is pricing right now what the VIX might be at October expiration, which captures the election, is the highest VIX future on the board. So when you take a look at it, that's one way to think about it. The other thing, take a look at the term structure of volatility in the S&P. You can see a pronounced spike. And you can see in both cases, both the VIX futures and the S&P options, that the volatility priced in for the election this year is considerably higher than it was four
4: years ago.
2: All right, Mike, thank you very much for more options action. Be sure to tune into the full program Friday, 530 p.m. Eastern time. The final trades are next. It is time now for your final trades on a Monday. Let us go around the horn. Tim Seymour.
4: So copper at two and a half year highs. Gold near all time highs. Freeport Mac is, is at two year highs. And if you look at materials names, as mentioned earlier around the housing sector, going higher, stay long Freeport.
5: Mr. Nathan. Uh, Yeah, my thought earlier was TikTok in the right hands would be a competitive threat to Snap and Twitter. I don't see it that way in Oracle's uh, cloud, so to me, I think you reload on Twitter.
2: Karen.
6: Yeah, I thought Citibank was overdone on the comments of a potential OCC reprimand, Stock down almost 6%. And
2: Guy, quickly, Guy. MCD. All right, see you tomorrow. Mad starts now.